I have begotten you through the gospel. They got saved as a direct result of Paul's ministry. Verse 16, wherefore I beseech you, be ye imitators of me. Now, imitators is not that we comb our hair the same, that we wear the same clothes. It's his manner of life that you're imitating, his grace manner of life. Uh, you know, it wasn't like the Corinthians. They had a bunch of shopkeepers and a bunch of merchants. And then Paul comes into town and everybody's a tent maker. You know, they didn't copy what he did. They copied his manner of life. That's what he was calling them to do. I live by grace. Uh, yeah, I was physically a Jew, but now where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. I eat to the Jews. I'm a Jew to those that aren't Jews. I'm as a, not a Jew, but in all things, I'm in law to Christ. That's the boundary of my conduct, not my national identity. That doesn't determine my deeper identity or how I function among other people. Right. He comes in. What, what explains this? What was his way? What were they to imitate? Look in verse 7. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved child. He also got saved as a result of Paul's ministry over in Galatia. And faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which were thoroughly rooted in the law. Is that what it says? No. It says, my ways, which are in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Is that what we're finding as we go through the New Testament? We're finding in Christ truth, positional truth in every book of the New Testament. And not just one occurrence. It's a bunch of places where it's either directly stated you are in Christ and you have this benefit because you're in Christ or an allusion to the fact that you're in Christ. Some truth that's related to who you are in Christ. We haven't even pulled out all those. We've just been looking at where it says, in Christ. But Paul taught everywhere about his ways which were in Christ. And he said to Timotheus to go to the Corinthians to remind him of the correct methodology of the Christian life. Because people were coming in to Corinth and challenging that. Right? Turn over to another one, 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> now, remember, when we get into 2 Timothy 3 and he talks about last days, those last days were already there. So this is a, a situation that's been going on for 2,000 years. The character of the church is, is in this character. So 2 Timothy 3, we read, This know also that in last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be fond of their own selves, covetous, boasters, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, tra traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What is this? form of godliness that Paul talks about here. What is this? I'm going to just put it forward to you now. I'm going to put it in a few simple words. It's trying to be moral and live the Christian life without the empowerment from God that comes as a result of setting your mind on things above. 
That's what this is. You say, no, come on, Josh, you're just making this up. You're Josh, you're just slick tongue and you're a salesman that's selling people your ideas. Let's read. Let's keep reading. Let's see if this is something we pulled out of scripture or something we're putting into scripture. For of this so sort are they who creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Now, as Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, unapproved concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all, as theirs also was. But thou, talking to, I believe this is talking to Timothy, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life. What did we hear about the way he lived over there in 1 Corinthians 4? In my ways which are in Christ. And now he's talking to Timotheus, how he knows his doctrine. And who was he, who did he send to tell to remind the Corinthians? Timothy, who he's writing to here. He says, You have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Uh, where, where are those places? Those are the places of Galatia, aren't they? That's where Timothy was from. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all that determine, is that what it says? No, all those desiring. All those desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus. I think that's almost the most important part of that verse. It's not saying all those that desire to be godly will be persecuted. No, it's talking about the methodology. How, what is your method for living godly? And this verse tells you it's through being in Christ. That's my method. That's the true only methodology for being godly in the dispensation. Because it's the promises you set your mind on things above, the spirit will empower you. That's the promise. If you take out that first part of the promise, you will not be godly. All right. But if you desire to be godly in Christ, you will suffer persecution. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's those that come and they teach a different methodology for the Christian life. And they deceive people. And it is a very appealing message. One of their messages is that gain is godliness. Because it, it comes right out of the law. comes right out of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if the Jewish person did follow the law, they would have health wealth and happiness and that's come over into the christian church in the form of that puritan or protestant work ethic the idea is if you just work hard you'll be a wealthy person well what's the problem with that what if you're not wealthy is it because you're evil is because you're not doing what god wants you to do okay which is baloney it's complete baloney. 
The Christian life has is spiritual blessings, not physical blessings. The Christian life is spiritual blessings, not physical blessings. Our spiritual blessings are immeasurable, and there's infinite is the our our infinite God, His grace. We have that, and it's infinite. His love, it's infinite because that's who He is, and it's given to us in Christ. Okay. He gives it to us without measure, and there is no budget on it. We live in a world that has limited resources. But in Christ, I'm out of this world. I'm at the Father's right hand outside of this universe. And it is set because it's in God's mind. With that, let's go to the book of Galatians. So the book of Galatians. Hmm. This book was written to Galatia is a region. There were several churches in the area. You can read in the book of Acts when Paul went there. He went there on his first missionary journey. Went there several times. But um, it's where Timothy got saved. It's also where he got stoned to death. He got stoned. And uh, if you know the, the Jewish custom, when they stone somebody, they'd take a big rock and drop it on their head to make sure the deed was done. And uh, we have evidence of that in Scripture because he apparently Paul was damaged for the rest of his life as a result of that. He says when he went to the Galatian, and he speaks in the book of Galatians to them, he says, you guys, you saw what a large hand I wrote unto you. And you didn't, when, you, when I was before you, you didn't, and it says, you didn't, Uh, on my site. Can you imagine? You know, I always think about that. Have you ever known somebody that had some kind of facial deformity or something? And you, you know them as a person, you appreciate them and everything, and there's no problem there. But, you know, you're always like, you never stare too long. You're like, hi, how you doing? Because you don't want to, you don't want them to think you're staring at their abnormality, right? And offend them. And Paul recognized that he didn't look his best. And he says, you treated me well. You didn't th literally throw up. You didn't throw up upon looking at me, but you took my words as the words of God. So this is the history of the Galatians church. Later on, Paul on another missionary journey, he's traveling around the churches and he is getting monies from the churches to send to the poor saints who are in Jerusalem as he had promised to do. And that's what he was doing when he was traveling all up around Philippi and Macedonia and Corinth and Athens and all those areas. He was collecting money for the poor saints at Jerusalem. And why were they poor? Well, there'd been some famines and there'd been some, but one of the reasons is they sold all their stuff. And they, because they thought Christ was going to come back so quick. Remember Barnabas? He sold all his stuff and they gave it to the church. They thought, oh, let's all, Christ is going to come back soon, so let's sell all our stuff. Okay. God never tells them to do that, but they do it. And that's, it has a fail point, doesn't it? 
has a fail point. Now the church is poor. And then you have to go call upon the, the charity of the other churches. But they did. They brought charity. Paul was bringing charity. As Paul comes and he's right around Corinth, Corinth, a delegation from Galatia comes and meets him. Or they're traveling with him. I don't remember. The, you can correct me. Um, but he gets some travelers from Galatia with him. And they bring reports of things that are going on in Galatia. And the problem is there's legalizers coming in, bringing a different methodology for the Christian life. You know what it was? You take, not the law, but modified law. And the Galatians need to do this modified law to grow as Christians. If you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to be perfected as Christians, you need to practice these elements of law. And Paul is so upset about this. You can go back and Acts. Normally, he traveled with a whole group of people following around with him. But he goes off on his own. And instead of using a secretary who he dictated this letter to, Paul wrote this with his own hand, showing the very disablement that he had because he was stoned. It was in a large hand. Imagine his vision being messed up because a big rock got dropped on your head. And he's writing in a large hand. And they knew why that was. Pointing to his authenticity as the apostle of God versus these fools who were coming in and trying to tell them to live a different kind of life than what he had laid down for them. Okay. So when you come to Galatians 1, we begin. All that was just uh, the preamble. Now that we're done with the preamble, we begin the amble. All right. All right. So Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me unto the churches of Galatia. See, Galatia was a region, and there were multiple churches in the region. Grace is to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age and according to the will of God even our father to whom is glory into the ages of the ages amen I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace from Christ unto another gospel oh, I, I thought there was only one gospel Right? There's only one gospel. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. That's the gospel. Right? That's not the gospel this is talking about. There's two gospels here, and neither one of them are talking about the gospel for initial salvation. Okay. What gospel is he talking about? It's he, you're, The grace from Christ is a gospel. How do we know that? It doesn't say it's a gospel. Yeah, it does, because it says unto another gospel so that implies the first phrase is a gospel everybody follow me okay it's a grace from christ well would that be initial salvation no it's not 
Let's look over, turn to Romans 16. You can put your little ribbon right there in Galatians 1. And I know this is a review for everybody here, but let's just kind of go through this, not assume anything. Romans 16. We see in verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you all. Amen. It is true. Verse 25. Now to him that is able to establish you according to my gospel. Paul calls it his gospel. And the preaching or the proclamation or the herald, the message that's heralded with authority concerning Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of a mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Now, there's a little background information we have to explain. The gospel of initial salvation is never called a mystery. But this gospel that Paul calls his gospel here is called a mystery. What is a mystery? Not a Hardy Boys novel. I know we like those. Or the Nancy Drew novel for the girls. It's something unrevealed before the dispensation of grace, but revealed in the dispensation of grace, revealed by Paul as the steward of the dispensation of grace. This is a mystery about the identity of Jesus Christ. And it's something that establishes the Christian. It's able to establish the Christian. Right here in the book of um, book of uh, Romans, you can establish this. This gospel is not initial salvation. It is about the identity of Jesus Christ, how his glorified humanity is the basis for the Christian's position before God. He is more than prophet, priest, king. This is not his identity of the church. He is the Lord, the head, the high priest, the groom of the church. He is established a new identity to the church and in that one who is at the father's right hand he's established a position of grace for us to be established in okay and it's a good news that was a stumbling block to the jew because it, it's also where he created jew and he created the new creation the new man and it got rid of those distinctions that made the jews special right you're a unique people um, God's only dealing with the Jewish people. Okay, we've hit this, we hit on this in Romans in positional truth. Yeah, they were special people and God pulled them out of all the, all the families of the earth and dealt with Abraham and Jacob. But in the book of Romans, you find out that that wasn't so great because he was using them as a failure test case to prove that all humanity is guilty before God. How do you like that? If you got a couple kids and one kid is generally is compliant and the other one's always naughty and you say to little Johnny who's compliant to about Jack the one that's always naughty you say Johnny do you want to be like Jack? He's a failure. Johnny quit being don't be a Jack. Don't be a Jack. Right? And the whole time Jack thought I'm the oldest kid. 
I'm the first kid. I'm the big daddy. Every, I'm bigger and better than all my siblings. And they, no sibling can stand before me because I'm bigger, older, and stronger. Right? Never, nobody's ever seen that happen, right? I was the baby, I remember. <laughs> so we come here back we come back to the book of galatians and we see paul is marveling that the galatian christians are they're removed from the one having called them by the grace of Christ to another of a different kind of gospel, which verse seven, which is not another of the same kind of gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of the Christ. There's an article here. It's not talking about the gospel of initial salvation, but this is another gospel. It's a gospel concerning the Christ. Oh, gosh, now we got to look at what that is. It relates to this grace gospel. There's identity about Christ, who he is for the church. We're called into it, that salvation. And there's a new identity for us. So Christ has a new identity, and he's established an identity for the Christian. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. we read in verse 12 for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is the christ this is not christ the person this is christ the christ the entity it's where all new testament believers from pentecost to the rapture are united in christ the person and the whole Entity is identified by the head, Christ. Turn to Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, we read, verse 11, Wherefore remember, verse 11, that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were one time were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of separation. What's that middle wall of separation? It's the law. The law separated Jew and Gentile. The law was given to mark out Israel as a unique people that God was dealing with. They were to be separate from the nations. And even after the beginning of the church, the Jews, even Jewish Christians, continue to think, they were better than the Gentiles. And Paul's telling these Gentile Christians here, nope. That wall was that wall was broken down by the work of Christ. 
having abolished by his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments and ordinances, for to create in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. See, it's a completely new man. It's kainos new. There's different words for new in the Greek, and this new is completely new. It's not a remaking of the old. Okay, It's a completely new thing. We don't become Jewish Christians when we become part of this new thing. In fact, in Christ, the Jew is no longer a Jew. In Christ. Not down here. Down here, he's still racially a Jew. Down here, we're still racially Gentiles. But in Christ, there is no special blessing based on your race. Isn't that great? Now, we're teaching something that's so inclusive, but yeah, I see pretty much one nationality, or I guess there's lots of nationalities maybe, but we're all generally Anglo, right? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's a wonderful message. It's a wonderful message. But we don't say it because it's popular nowadays to be inclusive. We teach it because it's in God's word that when you're a Christian, there is no special blessing based on race. I say amen to that because all the special blessing is based on Christ. And every Christian gets the same special blessing because they're in Christ. I can't say I'm better than you and you can't say you're better than me. Okay. What a wonderful truth. But legalism does the opposite of that. Legalism sets standards and says, oh, I marked that box, but you didn't. I marked that box, but you didn't. I'm just a little bit better than you because you can't get your act together. Right? Turn to back to Galatians. Paul says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach, verse 8, but though we or a messenger from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be set aside. Now, what's interesting here, Paul comes under this very curse because he, as he writes this letter to the Galatians, he continues on to Jerusalem and he goes under a vow, a legal vow. And he ends up going into prison for two years where he's pretty much doesn't do anything. And then he goes to Rome under house arrest. Okay. And he gets put up on a shelf for a little bit. And that's what this idea of being accursed is. It's being put up on a shelf. You're getting benched. Everybody familiar with that term, getting benched? That's in, in high school sports. You got a player who's not doing what the coach says. And, and they say, Fairing, you're benched. Play defense. Right? You just want to play offense and cherry pick on the other side of the court. But you're not playing deep. We got to have defense. Benched. You can sit there until you learn to play as a team. Right?
look in chapter three, this idea of this other gospel is really kind of uh, fleshed out in chapter three, this negative gospel, the one that would pervert the gospel of the Christ. See, the gospel of the Christ is that we all, not any of us contribute anything of ourselves, but God places us in the body of Christ where he determines for the betterment it's not for the betterment of ourselves. It's for the betterment of the whole body, right? So I'm not up there trying to distinguish myself to show myself how better I am than another Christian or to establish how godly I am or show how mature I am or how spiritual I am. That's a false use of spiritual, okay? That's not none of that. That's all antithetical to the gospel of the Christ because the gospel of the Christ says we're all together in Christ and I am deficient without you because God gave you something in the body of Christ that I need. We're dependent on one another. So legalism separates the Christ unites. See the difference? Legalism tries to show how, how different degrees of righteousness based on our performance. But in Christ, there's going to be differences because we're all at different places in the Christian life. But that's okay. We're not measured by that standard. Okay, we're all running our own race. I'm not running a competitive race with you. I run a competitive race with myself. Right? That's what scripture teaches. So when you come to chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by works of law or by the hearing of faith. Right? Now, this is a pretty much a you know rhetorical question, right? It has an obvious answer expected. No, we didn't get saved by works of law. We got saved by faith. You know that, Paul. You were here. We were here. We were all here. We know how we got saved. You know how we got saved. Why are you asking us this, Paul? He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now made mature by the flesh? This goes back to the idea that the gospel over the first chapter wasn't initial salvation. It explains what it's talking about. Initial salvation is not the issue. Everybody agreed. We got saved by the Spirit. A hearing of faith. Not by works of law. But what's going on today after they're saved? People are bringing in law and saying, this is how you grow as a Christian. This is how you're going to be mature. This is how you're going to come to your designed end. That's what maturity is. It's a progression to a to that apple remember that's our best illustration of maturity an apple can be you know you you'll go out here right now and you look at the apple i don't know if there's any little apples on the tree yet but in a month or so there'll be little apples on there and you'll say oh that's a perfect apple but you don't want to eat that do you because they ain't going to be good it's the perfect for that stage of development and a couple months later you're going to look at it and go oh that's perfect at that stage of development. But then at the end over there, and depending if it's a gala, it'll be August. If it's a Fuji, it'll be in the middle of uh, September. If it's a pink, it's going to be, well, hopefully before freebies, right? 
you'll take that and it's ready to be picked, ready to be consumed, ready to go into cold storage. And you go, now that is a perfect sacrifice. Well, maybe actually it's after you've eaten it and you're just holding the core, right? That's the perfect apple, right? In my belly, right? It's come to its designed end. How does a Christian come to their designed end? By a work of the Spirit, not through self-effort. See? Through a work of the Spirit, not self-effort. Now, when you get down to the end of the chapter of chapter 1, He begins to defend his apostleship all through the first few chapters. And it's kind of a fun study. We're not going to do it today, obviously. We've done it before. But he's really proving, he puts out a lot of defenses for, hey, my message is accurate and it is validated by God. I didn't get it from men. I got it from the Lord Jesus Christ. Proven. That should end it. But then he gives more evidences and more evidences that his message, ultimately what message? The message that we're in Christ together. And that's where true majority happens through a work of the spirit, not through trying to show how we're better than other people by self-effort. Okay. So he says, um, he's going through all of that in chapter one, talks about the churches, which are in Christ in verse 22, come down. We come to chapter two and read with me in verse one. He says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, I went up by a revelation and communicated unto them that gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles. What gospel is that? It's the gospel of Romans 16, that there's a grace established at the right hand of God in Christ, in the person who has a new identity to the church, the Lord, the head, okay, the groom. There's great, and he taught that grace among the Gentiles, that gospel. But secretly to them who were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be certain. They weren't compelled to do special works to establish their righteousness. None of them. See that? Verse four, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in secretly to spy out our liberty, our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus. Why did they come in secretly? That they might, because they wanted to know about freedom too and enjoy the work of the spirit and be empowered by God to do amazing things? No. Because they wanted to take the Galatians not the Galatians here, but the these people that were living by freedom to bring them under their bondage. Okay. To bring them under their bondage to be slaves. You know what living by law always where it results in? Living by the sin nature. That's what it results in. Living by legalism results in bondage to your sin nature. Let's look at a couple passages in relationship to this. Josh, you're saying that that gospel he preaches was the gospel of living by the Yeah, the Romans 16 gospel, the mystery gospel, his gospel. And uh, it wasn't the initial salvation gospel that already been dealt with, right? Yeah. 
So, um, and you can go to Acts 15 to compare that too. Um, we're not, I don't think we're going to make it to Acts 15, but that would be a good place to go. Um, but we don't generally do the, the best thing. Well, so we're going to go to a different passage. So turn to Romans 7. Romans 7 lays out the fact that Paul knew from his own experience as a Christian that if a Christian tries to live by law, they will disastrously fail at the Christian life. It lays out a principle in our very own minds that though you didn't live, none of us have ever lived by law. We're Gentiles. We were never put under law and we never under any obligation to live by law. But you know what we are put under? We're put under the rule, the house rule of our, our families, right? And that's what forms our conscience, our, our uh, conscience. Yeah, our conscience. That's what forms our conscience. Is our conscience the methodology of living a good Christian life? Absolutely not. Because different households have different culture, different things that we establish as moral or immoral. Right? But what's what do we have to compare whatever we were raised with to? God's word. And there's actually places in scripture that says we ought to tell our heart to shut up because our heart encompasses the conscience. And our conscience is saying, oh, you have a guilty conscience because you're doing this that the Bible tells you to do, but you were raised this way and it told you to this. And now you're, oh, God, I'm so upset. See? But what, what Paul explains to us here is that whether you're living by law or how you were raised, there's times where you try to live by some legalistic principle. And whenever you do that, it actually is what empowers that sinful nature within you. It empowers it. What wakes a sleeping tiger? If the sleeping tiger is your sin nature, it's law. Law is what wakes a sleeping tiger. You ever seen the cartoons where, where uh, uh, who's the one that always gets chased by Yosemite Sam? Bugs Bunny, right? And he sneaks by the sleeping tiger and he, he gets he gets by, no problem. But then Yosemite Sam comes running by and the tiger wakes up and gobbles him or something, you know? And you, you, it's just hilarious, right? If you're a Christian and you want to keep, if you want let if you want to let sleeping dogs lie, how do you do it? If you don't want to be chased by that, get keep that dog off your back. Oh, that's a monkey. Keep the monkey. I'm mixing all kinds of metaphors here. Um, <laughs> But you get what I'm saying, right? If you want to keep that evil monster down, how do you do it? Don't dangle law in front of it. Don't dangle law in front of it. We don't stop sinning by saying, thou shalt not. We stop sinning by saying, the grace of God has saved me something better i am better than that god has made me capable god has changed who i am that's not all that i am i'm more than that right in romans 7 
lays this out. If we read in verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it not be. No, I had not known sin, but by law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner, all manner of lust. For without law, sin was dead. That's how you leave, let sleeping dogs lie. Don't dangle law in front of the sin nature. If you just leave it there, you'll still fail. You got to do the positive aspects, right? Who are you in Christ? You count yourself dead to the sin nature, but alive unto God in Christ. For I was alive without law. This is how you know people. There's a big controversy whether this is Paul before he was saved or Paul after he was saved. This is, tells you right here. It was after he was saved. I was alive without law once. That can't be said of anybody but a Christian. Okay. End of story. There is no debate. Wait. Paul backslid? Okay, this is that, that kind of terminology is never used of a Christian, but Christians use it wrongly. Paul sinned as a Christian. All right. Hopefully we're not blowing anybody's minds here. Because we know it from our own experience, we sin. Right? Stop deluding yourselves. In the commandment, verse 10, which was to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, slew me. Verse 12, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? May it not be, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I know not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Everybody confused yet? This is a struggle between the new nature and the sin nature. Do you know this... You know, this this kind of a mental this kind of scenario does not go on for the unsaved. You understand that? They don't have two natures. They just have a sin nature. They might argue with their conscience, but this struggle of strong desire to do good versus evil is a is only really there's no human being that had this before Christianity. Okay. Verse 16, if then I do that which I don't desire, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, verse 17, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, for the desire is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I cannot find. For the good that I desire, I don't do. But the evil which I don't desire, that's what I do. Is this the definition of insanity? You can't do what you want to do and you do what you don't want to do? What kind of idiot are you, Paul? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure all you husbands have been, fallen into this trap before, right? Honey, I didn't want to do it. I really wanted to do the dishes, but I couldn't do it. Okay. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. 
Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. Now, this is where we've been talking about law is you put yourself under law, you're going to fail. Now, law here is used at a much broader idea. It's a principle. Okay. Not when we say you can't live by law, we're talking about a negative rule. Okay. This law is just a principle, just like the law of gravity. What's going to happen if you jump out the fourth, fourth story window of a building? You're going to fall. You ain't going to hurt. Right? Okay. There's a principle that when I desire to do good, evil is present with me. That's just a principle in this, in this life before we're glorified. I desire to do good. Evil's still present. Now, this is an aside, but you know that's why. Just like in the Old Testament, what did what, what happened on the day of covering? Does everybody know? The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies twice that day. Once to cover the sins of the people, of the nation, and once to cover his own sins. And what was the purpose of that? It's so that a holy God could continue to dwell amongst a sinful people a sinful nation for another year. Do you realize there's a sprinkling that goes on up in heaven today in regard to you? And that's so that God can continue to live inside a sinful human being. Okay. That's going on. That's one of the things our high priest is doing for us. He's living for us, keeping us saved up at the father's right hand. That's part of that grace that where we can be established, the identity of Christ to the church. That's part of that grace. Okay. How many people know about it? Unfortunately, not enough. Not enough Christians know about it. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There are principles. This is not the mosaic law. The law of God after the inward man is the principles of how God shows out his character through a sinful human being. That's what the laws of the inward man are. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who? What's the body of this death? It's that death that comes from the sin nature when I try to live by law. And he says that what's the conclusion? Who's going to deliver me? Grace by God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve law, the equality of the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay. This is essentially the doctrine of the truth. Anybody know the doctrine of the truth, right? Tell, tell the truth, not the lie. No, that's not what the doctrine of the truth is. The doctrine of the truth isn't not falsehoods. It's that doctrine that tells us how to have freedom from the sin nature. And this is, go back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we read, Jesus Christ had been talking to a mixed multitude. 
He says in verse 24, I said, therefore, or therefore I said unto you that you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, who art you? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from a beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world, those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke to them of the father. Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the son of man, then shall ye know that I am and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And he spoke these words, many believed because of him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say unto you, the one who does sin is the slave of sin. How offensive is that? The one who sins is a slave of sin. Slave is your, sin is your master. Wow. Okay. Today, I, th I think we, if somebody said that to us, we'd say, I don't care what you think. Moving on about my day. Right? Different world. This was offensive, what he says to them. Keep your finger in John because we're going to come back to chapter three in a minute. Jump back to Romans six. So Christ prophesied concerning the truth, which was how will you have freedom from the sin nature? In Romans six, we read in verse 10 and verse 11, we could read the whole chapter. It's all relates to it for Verse 10, it says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, in a similar way, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the idea that you reckon in your minds that you're dead to the sin nature, what does that mean? What does that mean when you say, I'm dead to the sin nature? It means that when the sin nature rears up his head as a master and tries to tell you what to do, you say, no, you're not my master. I'm dead to you. I'm dead to you. Everybody's familiar with that terminology, right? You're dead to me. That's usually how people say it. You're dead to me. Okay. You ever have a, somebody, uh, you know, I heard somebody mention it this way that, that uh, this person was at the house and somebody came, knocked on the door and says, hey, is Johnny there? Johnny, come out and play. <laughs> and you just yell through the door. You don't even open the door. You say, Johnny's dead. <laughs> How many sins can a dead man do? None. A dead man don't sin. Dead man tells no lies, right? But a dead man doesn't really do anything either. Is that what God wants? He wants you to lay there. You're you're afraid to sin, so you just sit at your home in a com in a comatose with your with your thumb in your in your little mouth. Nobody knows what I'm going through. 
sit at home at a pity party? Is that what God wants? No, we do that. A lot of Christians, we do that. We sit at home and, and nobody knows the pain I'm in. Nobody knows. We, we, we set ourselves up as so unique. No, it's nothing unique. There is no temptation that's come upon you that's not common to humanity. There's nothing unique about it. When you start thinking like that, you're being a little baby. Grow up. Get your mind on things above who you are in Christ. God has made it for you to live a victorious life. Christ called it an abundant life. Yeah. Yeah, question. I wouldn't say that you can be sinning, but there's, there's times where you grieve because you have a loss and scripture says, weep with those that weep. So I'm not, I'm just using an illustration. I don't want to take it farther than, than uh, we have to. It's not, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. And we're to go and come alongside those that do that. Yeah. Yeah, grumbling and complaining. We're told to not to be grumblers and complainers, and I believe it's Philippians chapter two, but we're supposed to be luminaries in a amidst a dark generation. So yeah, there's there's no premium on complaining. We we should we have we have the brightest future of anybody in the in the universe. We shouldn't be those that are locked in our room with the lights off, all gloomy, right? It's a it's an improper attitude, and it's going to lead to sin for sure. All right. Um, so back here in Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace may it not be? Know ye not? that to whom ye yield yourselves slaves to obey, his slaves ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God is thanked that ye were the slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. That's that. What's this telling us? It's telling us the doctrine of the truth. You were slaves, but now you're not. How are they? Because the truth set them free what does the tr truth set you free to do is it like the american dream you come you're in the bondage of poverty and all kinds of oppression in foreign countries you come to america and yeah, now you have not only can you buy enough to eat but you can buy an extra pair of pants go on a date with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and it's the american dream and freedom <laughs> is that what we're talking about here no, what are we set free to do? We're set free to serve. We're set free to be used of God instead of used of the sin nature. You're now a tool of God instead of a tool of the sin nature. Turn over back to John chapter 3. So many people know John 3.16, but I, 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 would, I would encourage you that this verse is well, that's an important verse. There's other verses that are, are just as important. You come down here. 
verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only unique one of a kind, son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light and because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he that does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are having been worked by God. You see that? Does that sound like somebody that's living by law? putting on an outward appearance to show you how great they are or establish their own righteousness? Or does that sound somebody that's setting their mind on things above being energized by the spirit and God is working through them? Ding, 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 ding. The second one. Okay. If you want to live a life of freedom, get out of your own way. Don't live by law, live in Christ. When you live in Christ, you will be used of God, the triune God. And uh, nobody has to know, you know, you don't have to uh, brag about how great you are. You don't have to get credit for it. Ultimately, Christ is your judge. He's the one that's going to reward us for the things done in the body, whether it be good or bad. He will establish those works as whether they are valuable or whether they are worthless, right? That's the only thing that matters. We don't even have the ability to discern our own selves. We're not going to self-establish our works as being uh, rewardable or non-rewardable. Christ does it. Christ does it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these believers. We thank you for their kind attention. We thank you for the wonderful uh, thoughts that come from your word. And we're so thankful that we can share in those thoughts, that we can harmonize our minds with a little bit of your mind. And that in doing those things, it really does prepare us for those works that you have for us. Uh, we just ask today, Father, that as the believers uh, listen to this message from your word, that anything that was wrong would just be forgotten. And those things that's, that were true to your word, that those would be the things that the mind would wrap its arms around. And that it we'd let those things marinate in our minds we'd we'd think on them we'd meditate on those things and that then doing so um, you would work out and change us from the inside out amen